0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Views from the Baseline on behalf of Baseline Times. This is Chevy here. As always, you guys can follow me at Baseline Chevy on Twitter. And please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Baseline Times. We are here to discuss the men's Final Four. It is set in stone, ready for April 3rd, this Saturday coming up. We will discuss the Final Four, make some predictions. We'll walk through a little bit of the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, and also there's a round of Shooter Pass, which we'll get Cody and John involved in here. But Without further ado, let me go and introduce the finest in college basketball coverage at baseline times here. It is John and Cody. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. What's going on?
1: Chevy man, super psyched about it. I mean, we've talked already. Love it. Um, Yeah, glad to have it. It's short
0: and sweet, what about you, Cody?
2: man, it's been a lot of fun, been a lot of fun. We've had just good times with the tournament, so I'm excited that we've been able to watch it and had it all the way go through. We're here to the final four finally,
0: yeah, absolutely guys. uh, and we've made it so far all the way through to the final four and the men's side of things, one cancellation, just one the women's side has successfully gone on without a cancellation, Cody, as we mentioned, so far uh. It's a pretty cool tournament, right? Uh, and I like the uh, behind the scenes. They would show the JW Marriott and how it got built and transformed. So, I would say production wise, we've gotten a pretty good tournament. The games have gone on. No, sounds, sounds like no one's had any travel interruptions. Obviously, so that's good. Um, we talked. We'll talk a little bit about the Big Ten and the rest thing, John, <laughs> uh, coming yeah. up here. Um, but so far, the last time we were here, uh, it was Sweet Sixteen. Let's kind of just recap really quick here. Uh, Koi, we'll start with you since, you know, you didn't get too much of an input uh, on the air last time. How do you feel about your Sweet 16, man, and and your redemption bracket? Uh,
2: At first, it looked real good, man. That first day, I felt like I I was hitting it out of the park, looking pretty good, seeing things. I kind of drew it up. You know, I think Oregon State looks about as good as I thought they would. Any team that can shoot like that is going to be in a good position. Uh, again, just watching the conference tournaments, I was I was pretty much all in on how the on how the Pac-12 was entering the tournament, and I just thought they had a, a nice little nice little head of steam behind them. Uh, but once we got to the second day of the Sweet Sixteen, that's where things uh, took a turn in my bracket, at least. Uh, for the most part, though, we talk the teams that are contending for a championship potentially. I, I think for the most part, in terms of how Gonzaga has looked and how Baylor has looked, it's very clear that those teams are peaking at this perfect time. So that's what I took out of the Sweet 16. Of course, we love the Cinderella runs of everybody. It's still good to see UCLA making their run, still think they could be a threat. But I think for the most part, we talked all year long about Gonzaga and Baylor, and here we are in the Final Four with
1: by far the two best teams being Gonzaga and Baylor. Yeah, I mean, the Zags and uh, and Baylor pretty much dominated the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, although certainly the Zags more so. Uh, the pac 12. You know, fought valiantly, but but had to uh, die off. Aside from UCLA, who who took down number two uh, or a two seed in Bama and a and a one seed in Michigan, which is a a rare feat to do uh, to reach the final four, but they did it and uh, and looked relatively good doing so. And then Houston, you know, to their credit, uh, I mean, a lot of people are are dogging them, and and I've certainly been been one of them for not playing a, a tough schedule. But hey, they they played the teams in front of them. The teams in front of them did beat. Uh, other good teams highly seeded teams so you know houston houston's come on pretty strong and they've looked better uh than they did in the round of 32 against rutgers uh later on in the tournament
0: right yeah absolutely i know one of the things about this that sweet 16 too uh like you mentioned their glow i think the biggest thing i was looking at today was definitely a ucla path being that they went from first four to final four um and gentlemen, we talked about this. The last time that happened was what was it 2011 BCU uh Cody? Yep,
2: shocking smarts team.
0: Yep. So uh, you know, that's 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 good to see. what exactly about 10 years later again it happened. So uh I think it's you know it's it's an opportunity. It's something that worked for the tournament to see somebody go from the bottom to the top, literally there. And then uh, cause UCLA was coming into this tournament where they, they lost to Colorado, lost to Oregon. And then Oregon State, right And the champ, the Pac-12 uh, tournament championship game, and then they've just been on this tear, you know. And we, John, you talk a lot about getting hot at the right time. And it, it, although UCLA made its way through, got 14 seed, Abilene Christian, they beat Bama, number two, and the number one seed in the the region. So the, I think they're building a the case. Obviously, you get the best of the best in Gonzaga. So you know, we'll talk about that there coming up. Uh, on the other side of things. Uh, the Baylor and Houston is a little bit interesting because these are teams that have dry spells that are officially broken getting into the Final Four. Baylor, 1950. Houston, 1984. Uh, You know, they talk all about the pie Slamma Jamma. Th- so th- to put this into like a perspective of like how long it's been, I mean, Clyde Drexler and uh, Hakeem Olajuwon have an opportunity to have an NBA cha- or a career, win some championships, uh, Elijah Juan, and then retire. And <laughs> the Cougars have never made the Final Four since then. Isn't that pretty crazy? It's like, a, it's, I think combined, uh, what's that? Uh, 50 and you know, 64 years between the two teams. So again, we, we could talk about the Blue Bloods effect ca- causing this, right John?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, UCLA is the 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 one standing Blue Blood and you know, certainly they haven't been quite the, the same blue blood as, as some of the others, you know, Kentucky, UNC, Duke, uh, in, you know, in recent years. But, you yeah, know, they've, they've hung around there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this year with COVID, with, you know, maybe not having as many teams, uh, having enough time to gel, uh, particularly those that have, you know, kind of uh, blue chip uh, freshmen, there's, there's been a little bit of room for some other teams to uh, spread their wings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cody, how about you, man? Do you feel like the Blue Bloods, the traditional Blue Bloods, th- this is a direct impact and effect of it for them not succeeding this year?
2: Yeah, well, a little bit. And you know, I, I'm I, I know UCLA is that kind of traditional Blue Blood, but I've really kind of written them off the blue blood train. I mean, even for them, you talk drive spell. I mean, we're going back to two thousand eight, the last time UCLA had a run into the final four, and that was their super team. I mean, that was Collison, Westbrook, Kevin Love, uh Mubamute. I mean, they had a squad that year so i mean we're talking uh, still a big dry spell i mean uh, we're going back more than 10 years for that for ucla so i mean this was a team that i mean I, as of what two years ago people were transferring out people didn't want to play there, recruits that weren't even visiting ucla all those star players from california were looking at you know usc maybe just for the atmosphere of the school and then we're going other places those play this top players from California were jumping over to Kentucky. And now the funny thing is, is UCLA is being led by a transfer from Kentucky here this year. So it's been great to see them back. I mean, I've always said, you know, there's, there's certain teams in certain sports, college or pro that the, the sport is better when those teams are good. And to me, college basketball is better when UCLA is playing at a high level. And that's what we've seen this year. And, you know, as good as the pac 12 has been, I still think if we were all put, you know, in a, situation at the beginning of the tournament at the beginning of the conference tournament you said all right the Pac-12 is going to have one team in the final four who's it going to be and I just don't know who would have ever thought UCLA would be that team but they're fun to watch they're very very well coached Uh, the blue blood effect has allowed a lot of teams I think to get to the elite eight Uh, but I think in terms of the final four we're looking at the four teams playing the best basketball right now Uh, to me UCLA beating Alabama and UCLA beating Michigan really was just UCLA outplaying both teams. I don't even really look at them as upsets. I think UCLA uh is right behind Gonzaga and the teams that have had the best overall tournament so far.
0: John, let's go back to you here for a second. Um are you going to inaugurate anybody else or or is there one guy at this point? Are you waiting for this tournament to finish to announce the addition I'm no, I'm ready
1: and and the guy is as as you may expect, Johnny Juzang man you know, he's, he's had a great tournament. There was, you know, one or two games that, that he didn't quite uh, have the same uh, scoring potency as, as he had in, in, in the rest of them. But, you know, he put up 28 points against Michigan in the elite eight and, and UCLA needed every one of them to, to really cement that victory and and make it to the final four. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a great name for it. You know, that just kind of rings rolls off the tongue, Johnny Juzang, you know, he's, he's got a story. He's he's got the uh, the, the Kentucky transfer and, and you know all the Kentucky fans on on Reddit and Twitter are are really uh, eating a lot of crow and and ruining the fact that John and Juzang got away from him uh, and you know he's just having a, he's having a tournament of it you know he's he's uh, he's up from I think he was averaging 15 points a game over the season and and in the tournament he's routinely putting up over 20 so I mean he's he's the guy that's really come on strong he's the the idol of March for 2021 in my opinion.
0: Right. It's funny, too, because I texted my group chat of friends and I said, I'm really rooting for Johnny, uh, Johnny Juzang because that name is so marketable. I said, there's so much wonders you could do with it. So I'm really rooting for him, for sure. Um, so, Johnny, if you listen to this, <laughs> we're, we're locking you in as fans, man. We we, we need that name to succeed. Uh, Cody, how do you feel about Idols of March? Do you have a couple particular players to just... Just one guy so far, you're right. I
2: I think, Juzang, in terms of of tournament play, and that's the biggest thing. Sometimes, especially me, where I'm already, you know, I mean, of course, I'm all in on the Final Four, but this is the time where we really start breaking down what NBA teams are doing with the trade deadline now over we're paying a lot more attention to draft stock and we're paying attention to what teams are doing in terms of the NBA draft. And this year in particular, when you have top seeds uh, outside UCLA top seeds, making the final four, that usually means there's at least a few prospects that are, you know, going to be able to play and bring up their draft stock. But when you stop looking at the NBA draft and you say, all right, let's just look at the tournament. I mean, I don't think Juzang has a lot of competition just in terms of what he's done for UCLA. And I mean, if you're looking for, you know, Idols of March and guys that we remember, you know, for a long period of time, I mean, this guy's etched his name with some of the biggest legends in basketball history when you talk UCLA stars. And that's what Juzang done. So that's why, in my opinion, there's not even really a competition right now. I mean, it's to the point where if they upset Gonzaga win or lose in the championship game, I mean, this is a dude who's a most outstanding player in this year's NCAA tournament. Regardless, if you know he continues to play at this high level, because I mean, just his energy, just passion for the game, to me, that's an idol of March. It doesn't always have to be in, in what it looks like in the scorebook or on SportsCenter, but that that energy, that life he brings to a, a team that for a while looked like they didn't have it in terms of back a couple years ago, in terms of back earlier this year. I mean, now UCLA still looks like that powerhouse team. And again, if you don't put seeds with these teams, UCLA doesn't play like a, you know, lower seeded team. I mean, they play like they belong with the Gonzaga's and the Baylors and the Houston's of the NCAA tournament.
0: Talking about like the actual like passion for the game there, Cody, as you mentioned, how do you guys feel about like the draft stocks, even from like the, the the teams that are out on, on the sweet 16 and out from the elite eight, uh, has anybody helped their case that will, be beneficial to their draft stock come up, coming up in the NBA draft this season uh, glow. I'll let you go first. Anybody that um, even if they dropped or, you know, rose their stock. Yeah,
1: Chevy. So there's one guy that, that really has stuck out to me. Who's, who's raised his stock quite a bit from, from what I'm hearing. And that's uh, Davion Mitchell of Baylor. You know, he was, he was already regarded as, as a defensive stalwart on the perimeter. I think he was being projected before the tournament as you know, as, as a late round, uh, late first round uh, draft pick, maybe he, sneaking into the into the you know early 20s or something like that uh but i think he's he's really calmed a lot of worries about his offensive production with his performance in the tournament through four games he's shooting over 58 of the uh, from the field and he's registered 19 assists so i think he, he is a little bit older he's i think he's 22 years old but uh i think he has has calmed a lot of worries there and, and i'm seeing him creep up maybe even maybe even a lottery pick but if not, maybe in, in the mid-teens somewhere. So so that would be my answer. Well, you know I can go
2: all day about all this because there's been a ton to me so far this season. And, and a lot of these guys, to be honest, there's been so many big names entering the tournament that so many guys have sort of played their way down the draft board, which has allowed guys to move up. To me, the first one is Jalen Suggs. I, I thought the point guard from Gonzaga didn't have really that breakout year. I think a lot of people were looking for it, but that's mostly due to the fact that Gonzaga was just so even killed this year But here lately, watching the way Gonzaga is ran by their point guard, Jalen Suggs, I think he went from being projected top 10 to sort of falling back into the lottery. Now I think he's back up possibly top three just due to the fact that the G League thing, there's not as many eyes on guys like Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga right now. So to me, Jalen Suggs has now leapfrogged those two guys and is probably right now a lock to be the number three pick depending on what happens in the draft lottery. Uh, Corey Kispert's another guy from Gonzaga, who's also raising his stock. I think this is a guy who's showed that he's more than just a sharp shooter with some long arms. He's also a good defensive player. He can handle the ball well. He's a bit more well-rounded than I think a lot of people give him credit for. And as Glow kind of mentioned, anytime you're really an older player, that just is automatically sort of a knock against you. Uh, Corey Kispert right now is playing like He could be one of the first top 10 senior picks in some amount of time. He's playing at that level. I think right now he is in a battle with guys like Jonathan Kuminga, guys like Scotty Barnes, who played well but not as well as I think he could have in the NCAA tournament. I think Kispert's right there battling for that top small forward position. Glow hit everything on the head with Mitchell. I right now think he's the top point guard in the draft outside of Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs. So if there's any team in the lottery that is needing a point guard, uh, it would not surprise me one bit for, for Mitchell to be a pick somewhere in between number eight and number 15 in this year's NBA draft, uh, Gonzaga, just as a team, man, I mean, we're talking one team with four picks in the top 40. When I've looked at every single mock draft that I follow, right now, Gonzaga has projected to have four picks in the top 40. I mean, that's wild, and that just shows how good of a team they are. And then also, guys like Jared Butler and Quentin Grimes, uh, the, the two players playing in the final four game, Butler from Baylor and Grimes from Houston, uh, they're two guys that are still playing for a potential shot to sneak into the bottom of that first round. Uh, Both guys have some knacks against them. They're not really those players that can jump up to the lottery. Uh, Butler, a little bit undersized. Not sure if he could be a point guard in the NBA. He may be more of an off-the-ball guy, but he's only about 6'3 and a junior. Again, as Glow mentioned, if you're a bit older, that's a knack against you. And then Quentin Grimes still questions if he can score at a high level in the NBA game. So both those guys right now projected very high second-round picks, but depending on what happens in the Final Four when they're going against other top talent like one another, a good chance that those guys could sneak into the bottom of that first round. So. Uh, a lot of guys who are still in the tournament, I think can really do a number for them, uh, but there's a lot of guys just dropping in the draft, uh, Tennessee getting beat early. I think that hurt both Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. They both fell in the draft. Um, also following the draft, I thought, uh, of course, BJ Boston did not have the season. This was guys guy that was a top 10 projected pick. Now, most indications projected him to just barely make the first round. Jalen Johnson, the same way, thought he was a shoe in to be a top 10. Duke not in the tournament, him opting out the season He's fell in the draft as well. So that gives a lot of these guys who are still in play, especially those four guys from Gonzaga, all have moved up on the draft board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cody, and both of you guys, actually, do you feel like uh, Cade Stock at all, you know, has been impacted by his early exit?
2: I don't think so. I think there's too many intangibles. He does too many things. He's built so well. I mean, when you look at the success that Ben Simmons has had in the NBA for the last two or three seasons, I think that's really, when you talk Cade Cunningham, we've watched what Ben Simmons has been able to do because that's the player that you – They're not the same guy by any means, but that's the most comparable player. So, A, you see that Ben Simmons is a star in the NBA. But then, B, I think Cade Cunningham did a lot of good things in the tournament. He showed that he could shake off some bad starts. He had a couple bad starts in the NCAA tournament and was able to rebound. Uh, But Oklahoma State, you know, they they weren't projected to really make a run, and they did play, you know, so-so in the tournament. But to me, in terms of just NBA scouting, uh, Cade Cunningham is the best guy But I will say this, if there is a team at the top of that draft board that would prefer to look at a big man, Evan Mobley raised his stock better in this tournament than Cade Cunningham did protecting his stock, if I can put it like that. I I think Evan Mobley has definitely moved into that conversation for overtaking Cade Cunningham, but it, it just comes down to what you're looking for. If you're looking for a player that can lead your team for 10 years, you go Cunningham.
1: If you're looking for a big man that can make an instant impact, you go Mobley. Yeah, I would I would echo Cody's sentiments there. I, I don't think it's anything or any knock on on Cunningham. I, I thought he before the tournament and and leading up to it, he, he played well enough to to show that he's a top pick for sure. I just think that that Mobley has has played so well that he's worked his way into that conversation. So, you know, if if a particular GM or or ownership is is really interested in in a big man uh rather than rather than a large and a, and I do say large uh, point guard uh I think you know Mobley has has proven that he's he's in that conversation as well shoot or pass
0: uh gentlemen we are actually going to get into a round of shoot or pass here so if you listen to our sister podcast the shoot or pass podcast you're familiar with this but we'll explain here uh I'm going to read a few statements out here if Cody and John agree they'll shoot if they disagree with the statement They'll pass. Uh, introducing that segment here. The first bullet point we have is Shooter Pass. UCLA versus Alabama was the best game so far in the tournament. And that was the Sweet 16 game. Glow, we'll start with you. Shooter Pass on that. You know, I'll
1: shoot that. I think there's probably a couple of games that were, were in contention. So I'd say, yeah, it could be considered the best game. Wouldn't be the overwhelming best game in my opinion. But I would say with the caveat of... The regulation of that game was was pretty spectacular. Overtime, not so much. UCLA just came out and pretty much dominated. But regulation was great. You had a couple of comebacks. You had multiple lead changes, a buzzer beater three to force overtime there. The three-point shooting was not particularly good all throughout, but it was pretty equal for, for both teams. So so I'll shoot it.
2: Uh, I'll pass. Uh, there was a two games that I liked just a little bit better. Uh, if you're a Rutgers fan you may not agree but that Houston Rutgers game was such a fun one to watch Rutgers looked really good early and I I picked Rutgers to beat Houston and it, everything looked good on my end and then out of nowhere uh, Houston does have a great comeback but then at the end when it get down to four or five points that Rutgers collapse was just a crazy thing to watch and then maybe I, the game that a lot of people didn't talk about that Oregon Iowa game I mean that was fast paced NBA style play uh, two teams almost combined for like 200 points it was a wild game again not near as a big deal as that UCLA win, but the Oregon-Iowa game was one of my favorite to actually just sit down and watch that from start to finish. Luca Garza's final game as a collegiate player, still seeing Oregon's run. Uh, those two games actually were two of my favorite games in the tournament so far.
0: The biggest disappointment in the Sweet 16 was Loyola Chicago. Uh, Cody, we'll let you go first here. Were they your di- biggest disappointment?
2: No, I'll pass there. My biggest disappointment by far was Florida State. Uh, Florida State, long, great size. I thought just the way the way they're coached, the way they're built, I thought they matched up great with Michigan. And Michigan went out there and pounded them. Uh, You know, I know Jawan Howard had a great game plan. I know he's got a great team, but I mean, if you talk about Jawan Howard's son scoring in the final minute, that that means you got beat pretty bad. And I mean, it's a 18 point win. Probably should have been a bit more, but Michigan pulled the plug pretty early to get their starters out of there and rest for the next round. Uh, I really thought Florida State was built to make a run this year uh, with Scotty Barnes and that just talent they had, and they just fell apart in that matchup against Michigan. I didn't expect too much out of Loyola. I guess really that's the reason my reasoning here. Uh, but I would actually, I'd say Florida State was my biggest disappointment.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a good one. How about you, Glo? Biggest disappointment? Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna pass on on Loyola
1: Shug. Well, excuse me, a little Chicago as well. I guess my my biggest disappointment was probably that that Alabama lost to to UCLA. So I mean, I just I just thought Bama's path was was paved in gold there with Isaiah Livers going down from Michigan, and you know I just I thought that they should have come out and really uh, stuck it to, to UCLA a little bit uh, a little bit better. they they're, they're um, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but one of their uh, star players for Bama went out early i think it was the first like 50 seconds he caught <laughs> caught two fouls and it was just a just a weird start to the game for for them so uh that's what i thought was the biggest disappointment i felt like it was kind of unreasonable and and i was guilty of this myself to, to prop these expectations on Loyola chicago you know they they are it, or they were an eight seed and you know they're they're a, an mvc team so not not to take anything away from from them or, or how great they played this year but You know everyone was talking about them like they were uh, a one seed or or something like that yeah they knocked off illinois but um you know that that was kind of a rivalry game at least for for loyola chicago uh and then when they came out against oregon state uh oregon state was able to kind of neutralize uh cameron krutwig there the the big man the center uh with an with a kind of a quicker smaller big uh lineup and and just kind of um on him on those on those uh pick and rolls, those uh kind of little uh shimmies to the basket that he that he loves to do. So they were able to neutralize that and then and then the rest of uh Loyola Chicago's uh players really couldn't get much penetration to the basket, couldn't get many open inside looks and and were called from three. Uh so you know that's just kind of the way the cookie cookie crumbled there and, and I wouldn't call that the biggest disappointment.
0: All right, let's switch on over to some conference talk here. The Pac twelve is the best conference in the tournament, shooter pass, Cody?
2: Yeah, 100% shoot. I mean, how good did Pac-12 look? And I uh, don't want to toot my own horn, but I did talk a little bit about the Pac-12 in that first podcast we did. I thought they had a couple good setups there, but still would not have, I'm not against that uh, UCLA would be the team to make the final four run. I mean, it, it, it's so hard to remember now, but I mean, I watched in a hotel room, they almost get beat by Tom Izzo and Michigan State in, in the first four. I mean, they struggled in the first Uh, what i mean i guess the first 35 minutes of that game against michigan state and then they come back and beat michigan state and next thing you know here we are in the final four but you know usc played well oregon and oregon state i know oregon state got beaten that's over now but i mean this is a team that wasn't going to make the tournament i mean all these other teams were in the running and yet oregon state won the conference tournament just to get in so just to get in was enough for them uh, it would have been enough for their fans and for the administration there, but they go on this great run, some amazing shooting. Makes me hate that I didn't get to watch them more during the regular season because that was a fun team to watch. Uh, and, and another big thing: UCLA, USC, Oregon, Oregon State all look so well coached. I mean, those teams look like they had top tier coaches. And uh, you know, Bill Walton says it's the conference of champions, and I'm, I'm sort of, I've always kind of snickered at that because I'm like, it's been a long time. Now I'm sort of back on board that they were, they've by far been the most fun teams to watch in the tournament. And I think they're one of the reasons this tournament's been so fun to watch.
1: I'm shooting that as well. They were clearly the best, best conference in the tournament. I'm not sold that they were the best conference throughout the year, but I mean, Hey, we have the results of the tournament and that's, that's where we're going on. Uh, You know, obviously they have several teams that played great ball down the stretch and, and in the tournament, I mean, UCLA, was not one of them that was necessarily playing great ball down the stretch because they lost their last four games uh, before the tournament. But th- I think three of those four were against Oregon, USC, and Oregon State, if I if I remember correctly. So maybe it wasn't that they were playing poorly. But maybe it was just the rest of the Pac-12 was was that good. So yeah, uh, I'm shooting that one all day. They've 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 shown out for for this tournament, no matter what happened in the regular season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to echo you guys here in between is that, you know, I'm looking at the path again today at each team just curious to see. And UCLA just just strikes me as as very a little bit more impressive than we would have realized just seeing how they have taken out the the top two seeds in their region. Uh so yeah, absolutely. I have to agree on that. Um let's talk about the the, the flip side of things here included the limited traveling the big 10 has had the worst tournament out of all the conferences glow we'll start with you
1: yeah I'm, I'm shooting that one dunking that one they, they have <laughs> really had a bad look here if you include the the benefit that should have been given to them from from the uh lack of travel they really should have dominated at least the the opening weekend of the tournament now they've kind of made an, an argument now for anybody who who makes kind of a, an advanced metric uh, analysis of uh <laughs> of the amount of travel and and its effect on on ncaa tournament teams which is which has been a, a semi-hot topic in some of the uh advanced metric communities so this is yeah throwing a, a giant wrench in in a lot of that and it's like oh well or maybe was the big 10 just not that good you know and
0: <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the truth all right how about you cody shooter pass
1: So
2: to me, uh, this is tough. I think in terms of the most disappointing tournament, uh, by far, the Big Ten, that's a shoot because I think at times people are talking about three teams from the Big Ten going to the Final Four, and that's, of course, uh, not what happened. Uh, Overall, though, I mean, still, in terms of just what they did as a whole, Big Ten still had a great year, and and Glow said Pac-12 wasn't the best team throughout the season because that was by far the Big Ten. The Big Ten was far superior to everybody in the regular season. But in terms of of what they've done in the tournament, I mean, it's almost just been let down after let down. And and then we kind of get to this point where I go back to calling Florida state a disappointment. I mean, that big win by Michigan sort of made me go, okay, you know, maybe here comes Michigan. And you got to remember they had, uh, that different strain of COVID. Therefore they took off like twenty some days of of practice and just being around each other, period, and then come back and practice for a day or two and then go right into play. So of course they were a little sluggish. So we didn't really get to see a very good Michigan team. And then of course they they lose livers and they're still a little beat up. But then that win against Florida State made me really go, okay, you know, maybe maybe this is that Michigan team that we've heard so much about. But you know, Iowa, Ohio State especially so many teams just had such big letdowns in the tournament. And then Michigan losing to Houston, who is by far the weaker seed in terms of or the weaker team in these four Final Four teams. Uh, it was just a disappointing game. And I think just overall, that's the, the key word to take away from this. It's just been disappointment after disappointment for the Big Ten as a whole. So I'll, I'll shoot that as them having just that that fall from grace here in March.
0: All right, uh, shooter pass. Despite making the final four, Houston is truly a fraud since they have played nobody above a double-digit seed. Go, I want to start with you on this one, shooter pass, my man. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna shoot this one, and I'll I'll caveat it. I'll
1: say, hey, this is not Houston's fault, but to me, they're a fraud. They're there's no other way to 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 put it. They have played the easiest statistical schedule of. Of any team in in the NCAA tournament, or, or of, of any or any path, I'm sorry, in the NCAA tournament to get to the Final Four during the regular season to get their two seed, they did not play any teams aside from Texas Tech and Wichita State that made the tournament, and Wichita State was extremely lucky to make the tournament themselves. Now they did beat Texas Tech, who was a six seed, uh, and they beat them fairly handily. So you know, kudos to them. I'm not saying Houston's a terrible team. But to even be granted a, a two seed, I mean, the body of work was there, but the, the the competition was was quite a bit weaker than 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 any other team in those in those high seedings uh, faced, including Gonzaga. A lot of people not Gonzaga, but their Gonzaga's out of uh, conference schedule was fantastic, and they were supposed to play Baylor as well, and that game got canceled. But Houston has really played nobody better than Texas Tech the entire year, so we still really don't know exactly how good they are.
2: Okay, so here's a little trivia question for both you guys. In the history of the NCAA tournament, do you know how many teams have ever made the Final Four playing only double-digit seeded teams in their first four games? Uh, it's got to be one. Yep, and it's Houston. No team has ever done that before. So they go from a 15 to a 10 to an 11 and to a 12. So of course, as glow mentioned, that's not Houston's fault. They can't control that, but yet it, it makes it really hard to even fathom that they're on the same level as a team like ucla who has literally had to play everybody i mean again we go back to the first four game you know they're not paired up in the first four with one of those questionable mid-major teams they're paired up with michigan state of blue blood who of course is going to play their toughest basketball in march as tom Izzo always does ucla survives and they go on to have this magical run including beating the two and the one in their bracket and of course all year long it's been gonzaga and baylor one a and one b So you can't even, even, I mean, it's so crazy to think with that. I do, of course I do shoot here, but fraud is a tough word. And man, when I sit here and I read this stat and I read all the research I've done, I think to myself, Houston probably wins this game by four because that's how the NCAA tournament works because Houston is also (laughs) hearing all this talk. They also heard You guys weren't even supposed to beat Rutgers. You guys weren't supposed to beat Syracuse. You guys got lucky against Oregon State that they got cold in that last four minutes. I mean, this is what Houston's hearing. This is what Calvin Sampson's hearing. Who's been here? Who's done this NCAA tournament? Who's a veteran coach? It's so wild to just look at all this, but then just kind of go, man... This is a team that's now got a whole new motivation. I mean, what's Gonzaga's motivation to you know, go undefeated, to win the title? What's Baylor's motivation? Well, we probably should have won it last year. We're trying to win it this year. UCLA's motivation is, hey, let's just keep playing, man. We're not supposed to be here. Houston's got the biggest motivation where people are calling them a fraud. You're not supposed to be here. You had it easy. You didn't play nobody. Those are the most dangerous teams once we get to this point in the season. So I think fraud in terms of how we're looking at these four teams – But man, it's hard not to think they can't sneakily maybe get something done against Baylor.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting take. All right. Let's talk about Gonzaga here. So Gonzaga's current roster is the best men's college team ever and will remain unseated for a while. Uh, Cody, we'll start with you. Shooter pass on that.
2: So I'm going to pass that. And again, this is not a knock on Gonzaga, but You know, we still there's still so many question marks. And when I think best college teams ever, your brain just automatically goes to what some of these dudes do at the next level as well. I go back to those Florida teams that were just loaded with NBA talent. Uh, You know, you go back to that team that won two titles, Billy Donovan, that had Al Al Horford and Joaquim Noah and all those guys. And, you know, Gonzaga plays so well together and it's hard. You got to go back to like the 80s and maybe like the mid 90s to find a team that plays just so well well together some of those early day duke teams some of those really sharp carolina teams i mean you got to really look to find a team that plays so well together uh and mark few is just an amazing coach and again we talked earlier four potential players can go top 40 in the draft but you know gonzaga in the nba has always had you know pretty notorious for just not being it just didn't seem they convert very well but in terms of a college basketball team Uh, I need to see just a little bit more. I know Gonzaga did play a tougher schedule this year than they have in previous years, uh, but we still lost some of those key games. I would have loved to see them in Baylor. I really wish we could have had that game in December. Uh, They didn't get to play Tennessee, and that was when Tennessee was actually playing really well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how Gonzaga handles this really fast-paced UCLA team, and I really hope that we do get Gonzaga and Baylor both at the peak of their season in that title game. If Gonzaga handles UCLA and Gonzaga handles Baylor, then maybe we come back to this question, and then maybe we're talking about them being one of the best college basketball teams ever.
0: That's fair. That's fair. How about you, Galo? How are you feeling? Shoot or pass? I'm going to pass it as well. I will say
1: I think Gonzaga's probably the best college team of the one and done era maybe even of the 2000s yeah. but you know as as Cody was saying with some of these these old older teams from from the 90s and before you know you had you had multiple nba players on on rosters multiple nba stars on on college rosters for you know for 3 or 4 years even whereas you know here in 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 this day and age yeah we, we probably have have four or five guys that will will be drafted in on uh in the nba maybe this year maybe next year uh, on on Gonzaga's roster uh but you just don't have the the same the same depth uh, the same uh longevity as as you had back in in the 80s or 90s or or even before you know going back to uh some of the the legendary UCLA teams John Wooden's UCLA teams with Bill Walton and uh Kareem Abdul-Jabbar I mean I think for their eras maybe those would be considered the best teams of of all time so uh, I'm I'm going to pass
0: all right, let's talk about the best player in the tournament, uh, Shooter Pass. Johnny Juzang is your pick for the tournament's MVP, or in our case, the biggest March model at this point. Uh, Cody, Shooter Pass on that.
2: Yeah, shoot completely there. I mean, just in terms of the leadership and the things he's done for UCLA, being the heart and soul of that team, uh, we've talked so much about these NBA guys. And, you know, again, the key word there is is so far, uh, I think in terms of getting to this Final Four, if you look at these three teams, We knew Gonzaga, we figured Baylor, Houston, when you looked at their bracket, you could kind of pencil them in. So only one team here is that major surprise, and that one major team has a major player. So I definitely shoot 100% on that one. I think that's a slam dunk pick. And again, I think if UCLA can sneak past Gonzaga, pull off that upset, as long as he plays well in that game and plays well in the final or in the championship game, win or lose, uh, he might go down as one of those guys that lose in the title game and is still the most outstanding player for the tournament.
1: I'm going to pass on on most outstanding player. I'm going to shoot on on March Idol, obviously. Okay, but I think who will end up winning the award is probably Drew Time from Gonzaga, and if not him, then one of the other <laughs> Gonzaga stars cuz there's there's so many but but for right now with two games remaining for for Gonzaga I believe uh for me it's Timmy. I mean he's you know he's a leader on the team he's he's been been filling up the stat sheet he's putting up close to you know 20 a game and he's just so consistent he, you know he, he's he's the heart and soul of the team Well, I mean I guess along with uh with Kispert the uh the shooting guard forward uh for them and you know one thing that that really struck me in in watching him play against USC is he was getting steals, man. He was running the the court as, as a, as a center, you know, and, and, uh, and, and getting, you know, fast break buckets, you know? So to me, I, I think he's, he's the MVP of, of the tournament, assuming Gonzaga wins, wins the, wins the whole thing.
0: All right. Last shooter pass here, guys. Uh, shooter pass. Baylor should be considered the sneaky team of the final four. Uh, Cody, how do you feel about that? Are they just, are people forgetting about them?
2: I'll pass because I think it's hard to call them sneaky since they've been the number two team all season long and even had a spell at number one. And really, a lot of people, I think, if you really put them on paper next to Gonzaga, it would be hard to not think Baylor may even be a little bit of the favorite if those two teams match up. I still think, and it's kind of what I said earlier, guys, I think it's Houston. I think Houston... Has a chance. You got to remember this. This team's played well all year, and even with that lack of a really hard schedule, they've played pretty consistently. Now, of course, that Rutgers game they had a horrible start, and they did not look great. But you know, when you look at the rest of the tournament, Cleveland State beat them by thirty-one, beat Syracuse by sixteen, beat that uh, hot-shooting Oregon State team by six, and then they come from behind, win against Rutgers, winning that one by three. So I mean, this is a team. It's been consistent. They got very good coaching. Quentin Grimes is the guy who's you know climbing up into the draft boards. They're they're a, a, a deeper team. You know they're about eight nine guys deep that can rotate in and play good defense. Uh, they got really good half court game, but they also can run the floor just like Baylor. I think if we're talking a sneaky team that nobody's talking about, it's because what we talked about earlier. People look at the schedule. People look at their tournament bracket. People are riding off Houston. I'm not saying here. Uh, by any means that I think Houston is going to win a title, but I think if Baylor comes out and they're already thinking about Gonzaga, Houston will give them a run for their
0: money. Yeah, I, I can see that too. How about you, Glo? Shoot or pass?
1: Yeah, I got to pass that one as well. I mean, as Cody is saying, the consensus number two team pretty much all year. They're a one seed. You know, I, I can't see how they're a, you know a sneaky upset pick or anything like that. I gotta yeah, Houston and and UCLA. Nobody's giving either of those teams a chance to even reach the final game, and let alone let alone win it. So yeah, if there is a sneaky team, it's it's gotta be it's gotta be Houston or UCLA.
0: All right, there we have it, the shooter pass round, guys. Uh, going into the bottom of the show here to end the show. You know, I gotta ask you guys here. It is a final four that none of us predicted at our bracket challenge, uh, but. We have a final four, UCLA and Gonzaga. Uh, we are getting Baylor and Houston first, actually, on Saturday coming up there, April 3rd. Gentlemen, um, we can start with you here, Glow. Take you any, any predictions, man? Anything you want to throw out there? What will this final four come out to be after Monday?
1: So, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with, with the pick that I've had pretty much all year, and that's Gonzaga, you know, cutting down the nets. I think it's going to be Baylor or Gonzaga, and I think it's going to be... Gonzaga over Baylor but I've been betting against Houston for you know four straight rounds here and they keep they keep uh sticking to the bottom of my shoe basically so uh as as Cody was saying it, it might just end up being one of those <laughs> one of those tournaments that, that nobody believes in us team uh, but I'm I'm sticking with Gonzaga and I yeah I won't I won't uh I won't turn my back on him now
0: all right how about you Cody still with Gonzaga too
2: well, I do want to let everybody listen and know that in our bracket challenge, I am currently in first place over uh, Chevy and Glow. So just want to let everybody know that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, of course, I'll, I, I do think Houston's sneaky, and that game really gets me in a game I probably would not put any money on because I don't feel great about that. I will take Baylor by about 4-5 or five in that ball ballgame. Uh, I do think Gonzaga, and, look, I love UCLA, and this has been an awesome run. But on paper, man, just the way these, these two teams match up when you watch the film, It's going to be super hard for UCLA to match up with Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga wins that game by 10 or 15. I really do. It's going to be just hard for UCLA to hang with them for 40 minutes. They may have some spurts. They may have some moments. It's going to be a tough matchup. And that takes us to where really where we all kind of figured we'd be, and that is Gonzaga and Baylor. And, you know, I, I really like how Baylor matches up with Gonzaga better than any other team could in the country. I still think Gonzaga is just too loaded. I mean, there's there's too many guys. We talk about those four prospects. Tim A's had a great tournament. Kispert's playing his way into a top 10 pick. Jalen Suggs is still the star on that team. Uh, but there's so many other intangibles that go into a national championship game. And to me, that makes me side with Gonzaga. I think it'll be a really good game, though. I don't think Gonzaga would run away with it. I, I think Baylor's got the talent to keep it close. Uh, but at this point, especially with how they've played so far through the tournament, I, I think Gonzaga completes the perfect season.
0: Yeah, I got to agree with you guys. I, we're all on the same page at the end here, guys. So uh, the brackets don't reflect that, as Cody mentioned, but I will say, uh, yeah, I, I'm down to watch Baylor and Gonzaga. I mean, I've been watching a little bit more on the Baylor side of things. I think the first few rounds of Gonzaga. I kind of ignored off for obvious reasons to watch other things <laughs> that are a little bit more competitive. But I'm gonna go with the ultimate, you know, matchup of Baylor versus Gonzaga. But watching Baylor was just because I haven't really got an opportunity to see them this season and in the tournament either. And then starting with them and seeing how good they are defensively, you know, Davion, you know, Mitchell, we talked about him, how he's emerged, you know, Butler, you mentioned him, Cody. I, you know, I would love to see a match. It'll be a closer game than people expect. Hopefully, of course, for us and our entertainment purposes. I absolutely love that matchup, um, but. You know my bracket, as you you guys know and you heard, is doing pretty bad. I wouldn't be taken back if Johnny Juzang does some things, and you know UCLA is in there too as well. What what if we got a Houston versus UCLA, you know, final game?
1: Hey, I I wouldn't be mad at it. You know, I gotta I gotta love Team Chaos. I gotta I gotta root for the the underdog. I I am I am partial to Gonzaga just because I love how they've gone about it. I I love Mark Few sticking at Gonzaga, building a program there when he could have gone to any, any power five power six school that he wanted over the years. So, Hey, I guess either way, we're, we're going to have a treat, right? Either we're going to, we're going to watch Gonzaga be undefeated and, and, you know, be arguably the best team since the nineties or since 1976, Indiana went undefeated. And uh, if not, then we're going to get to see a great upset and, uh, one for the ages. Yeah, and, and
2: Houston, Houston and UCLA would actually match up really well together, uh, and that would be a great matchup you know, with how, how Juzang's playing and also Quentin Grimes. That would be a great matchup of two of the underrated guys in the tournament. But, man, just the Houston-Baylor thing, again, that still scares me a little bit. But UCLA beating Gonzaga in the Final Four, to me would be one of the biggest upsets in tournament history. That's just the way I look at it. But uh, that would that would be definitely chaos and crazy and something fans would eat up.
0: Yeah absolutely the undefeated season ruined uh kind of like uh new england, yeah. huh? new england um <laughs> the giants yeah new england matchup right there all right gentlemen any shout outs uh do you want to give out to the world there as we come to a close for this tournament
1: uh yeah if, if i might I want to get a little bit serious here just for a minute just because i feel the need i've seen I've been kind of upset by uh by a lot of the um the anti-Asian, uh, sentiment and, and hate crimes that I've seen going on. Um, so I just wanted to plug a couple of things, uh, for, for some people out there that, that maybe just aren't aware. Um, so I don't have any specific sites to plug, but, uh, as they're, as they're often pretty, uh, city dependent, but, uh, there's a lot of trainings that, that people can do. If, if you're interested, there's, um, bystander training, there's uh, self-defense training out there. There's, there's different harassment, uh, and, uh, and I guess uh, assault type uh, reporting sites out there, depending on what, what city you're in. And of course, there's obviously all sorts of law enforcement uh, sites and things like that. But there's, there's a lot of resources out there that you can do for free, a lot of things that you can do, either doing Zoom and, uh, and other uh, virtual trainings and things like that, just to prepare yourselves, be, be ready for these sort of things, uh, and, and be able to help out in, in such a situation. So uh, I just wanted to plug that and, and get people thinking.
0: Awesome, Claude, that was beautiful, man. I got to agree. How about you, Cody? Any shout outs?
2: Well, man, it's hard to go after that because Glow hit it on the head. I do want to quickly talk about the women's tournament and just how great some of those games have been so far this season. That UConn-Baylor game was, I mean, we go back to saying the best game of the tournament. If you include women, there has not been a game close to the matchup between Baylor and the UConn women. That was a game that started out hot, ended hot. Paige Beckers looks like one of the best female players uh, in the history of UConn. And this is a freshman. This is a freshman. And we're talking, I mean, we're talking UConn women's basketball. So that's comparable to, you know, the best team in any sport anywhere. And that's how good this freshman, yes, Paige Beckers is a freshman, just won AP Player of the Year, first ever female freshman to do that, and how good UConn's looked. But man, Arizona, first time they've ever been in the Final Four. They're one of the only teams that have a former WNBA superstar as now a coach. She's done everything there are some good things going on in women's basketball. And when you look so much at the, at the gender equality issue and everything that's been talked about and everything that's going to be under a microscope, once this tournament's over, because there's a lot of things that are going into this and a lot of things that are not even really out in the media yet where, I mean, the NCAA just basically came out and said, well, we just doubled the money for the men's tournament instead of splitting it. Even that's going to turn a lot of heads. Some people say, well, it's about the money they bring in. See, that's where we get to the NBA WNBA conversation, not college sports. And I think that's going to really be a talking point this summer with how the women retreated compared to how the men retreated, especially in terms in terms of play. The women's tournament has been significantly better in terms of each and every game than the men's tournament. And look, we were talking earlier, the men's tournament has been great. But that just goes to show you how good the women's tournament has been. Again, that UConn-Baylor game, guys, I'm, I'm being dead serious. That was one of the best basketball games I've watched in probably about 10 years in just terms of well-coached, great play, uh, seeing a superstar right in front of you. I mean, Paige Becker is one of those players where, I mean, you know, I remember going to Thompson Bowling Arena to watch Candace Parker play and thinking, this is the greatest women's basketball player I've ever seen. I sort of have changed my tune on that because now I'm thinking Paige Beckers will probably go down as the greatest women's basketball player once it's all said and done. So I, I think, you know, if you people that just don't follow women's basketball, you're missing a storyline that's going to be talked about for a long time with uh, even if UConn doesn't win with how Paige Beckers is playing. I think in terms of just overall best player still in women's or men's tournament, we can talk about ju uh, juice saying we can talk about these, these NBA prospects, but if you're missing out on what Paige Beckers is doing, you're missing by far a superstar player that could be that player that women's basketball needs to sort of take that next step towards competing with the NBA.
0: That's what's up, guys. Uh, that was good. That was really good, guys. Beautiful. I was uh, a little taken away, man. Full transparency. Beautiful way to end this show. Um, and as always, guys, you are going to have some projects coming up at BaselineTimes.com. Where can the people find you at on social media?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, find me at, uh, at PodNorthEast on on Twitter.
2: Yeah, Cody underscore Gwen on Twitter. It's about uh, NFL draft time. Then we'll jump to NBA draft time. So it's my favorite time of the year. Better than Christmas coming up.
0: <laughs> Better than Christmas. All right, that is it for us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Views on the Baseline here. That's our March Madness Final Four prediction at Baseline Times Instagram, Twitter. You'll hear more and see more of glows and cody's work uh gentlemen we're gonna get the stuff right this time glow you got ucla right we, we look very bad on picking oregon though but we'll we'll bounce back hey man you can't win them all <laughs> that's what i tell that's what i tell them man don't worry at least I can't <laughs> you're still 70 i'll round up i think you're at 68 now but i would say definitely listen to these two guys uh inc- incredible content guys
1: thanks chevy